0: Friends, welcome back to the Ransomed Heart podcast here in the first week of April. John Eldridge and Alan Arnold back in the studio. And I think we've got a treasure for you this week. I think we have a lost treasure for you. One of the core values of Ransomed Heart, if you were ever to drop by the outpost and our conference room, we have some of our core values up on the wall, mission statement type stuff. And the first one goes like this, to recover the lost treasures of the gospel. Because there are so many beautiful things, life-changing gifts from God that have gotten lost, buried over the years, And we love the passage from Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. We feel like the guys who found treasure in the field. You know, beautiful things that have changed and are changing our lives, and we love to bring to you. So if you hang around us very long, you know, you'll hear us talk about the beauty of learning to hear the voice of God for yourself. And what a life-changing thing that is. Right. Absolutely life-changing that God speaks, that he still speaks today, that he speaks to his sons and daughters, and that learning to recognize how he's speaking to you, deepening your ability, growing in it, right? Right has changed your life
1: changed my life big time when walking with god came out it was the first time i really understood what is the difference between prayer to god and conversational intimacy with god and the ability and the understanding and just the joy of being able to have conversation to talk to god and hear him speak back yeah john that changed my whole life.
0: And if you sit in if you sit in on a staff meeting or or a planning meeting here, a lot of it is actually listening prayer. We yes. we just listen. Jesus, you want us to go to this country? Yep. When do you want us to go? October. Okay, we're going in October. The ability to cultivate and practice hearing the voice of God would be an example of one of those lost buried treasures mm-hmm. that we're trying to bring back to people and say this is wonderful. It's incredible. Let this be a part of your life. Practice it. Another one would be that the heart is central. And oh how this was lost. You know, too many too many Christians at least people brought up in a church background were told that the heart is bad. You've got to you know, repress the heart kill the heart, ignore the heart, and and focused on the externals. Focus on duty, behavior, obedience, service, justice, good things, but to neglect the heart, oh my
1: gosh! Well, and I was meeting with a friend who's a pastor, not my pastor, but a friend who's a pastor just recently, and John, to show what a lost treasure this is, I asked this pastor of a large church, how's your heart doing in the course of coffee? And he said, oh, hey, I I went to the cardiologist just last week and my heart's doing great. And he tells me his heart rate and, you know, how he's just taking care of his cardiovascular system. And it's like, oh, my God, that's not what I'm asking you. You know, and he's a pastor and yet a good man. But that's been lost.
0: Yeah. yep. And when you neglect the life of the heart, it actually explains all of those famous and tragic ministry scandals you know you neglect the life of the heart for 30 years and you try and live from performance and be amazing and come through and something's going to implode right it's going to be you know an affair an addiction a a, a anxiety disorder something's going to present itself because you have neglected your inner life and so what a treasure it is to recover the value of the heart and how much your heart matters to god how he wants to heal your heart. Another one would be directly linked to that would be gender, that you have a masculine heart, you have a feminine heart, that gender is at the level of the soul, and and how huge that is for your life. So those would be examples of treasure hidden in a field. We're actually not gonna talk about that this week, but by way of introduction, I want to come back to a massive lost treasure that seems to make people uncomfortable even when you bring it up in casual conversation. And and this lost treasure is the return of Jesus. And it is amazing. I mean, I will be in the company of fairly mature people, sincere followers of Jesus who when I begin to talk about the return of Christ, everybody gets a little twitchy. Yeah, People start feeling, you can <laughs> see their body language, you can see it on their countenance, you know, and Alan, it's, this is a fascinating thing. Why? why? Why aren't people thinking about it? Why are they so uncomfortable when somebody brings it up?
1: It provokes a lot in people. Yeah, I, I was talking to somebody on our team this morning before we came in here, and they asked what we were going to talk about, and, and so I shared that. And the response was, yeah, like, I love the thought of Jesus returning, and yet my immediate sense sometimes is just not now, not yet. And I mean, this is somebody deep in the message. and Right. And, and I think most of us can relate. Absolutely, I want Jesus to return soon, someday, but maybe not before I finish this project or before my grandchild is born. Or Yeah,
0: I want to get married. I, right. We want to have children. There's so much of our life we want to live. And so
1: his return almost feels like in a, in a warped way, it's stealing something right? we want, which is totally not right, but that's the sense of, let me have this life first, then.
0: Isn't that amazing? Or it feels so remote, so high in the sky, so distant that it doesn't have any bearing on my life right now. It's like I need God's help now in this, yeah. right? With my kids or my job or my health or my, you know, my income or the crisis that's going on. And so you bring it up mm. and Either people feel interrupted by it, like, no, 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 not not yet, right? or it feels so vague and right. so out there, right. right? I want to read something from Blaise Pascal. I adore him and his little uncollected or unfinished work called The Ponsés. It's just a series of thoughts of his that he was eventually going to put into a book and... After his untimely death, it was, you know, gathered together by various editors, and so you can find it in print still. Here's what he says. He says, nothing is so important to a person as their own state. Nothing is so formidable as eternity, and thus it is not natural that there should be people indifferent to the loss of their existence and to the perils of everlasting suffering. They're quite different with regard to all other things. They are afraid of mere trifles. They foresee them. They feel them. And this same man who spends so many days and nights in rage or despair for the loss of a job or for some imaginary insult is the very person who knows without anxiety and without emotion that he will lose it all by death. It is a monstrous thing to see in the same heart and at the same time this sensibility to trifles and this strange insensibility to the greatest objects. It is an incomprehensible enchantment, a supernatural slumber mm which indicates as its cause, an all-powerful force. Wow. There is a kind of supernatural enchantment over the world. And, and if you listened to our podcast on the world last year, you know, I would call it something like worldliness. It's, it's a spell yeah. that the enemy has cast over the world and, and cast over believers that has caused us to ignore... This treasure, the return of Jesus, to get squeamish when somebody brings it up, to feel interrupted by it—no, not yet—or to feel like, oh, come on, that's so far out there, that's not practical. It's not real to my life now. Yes. And let me let me put a couple of tests in front of you, Alan, and in front of our listeners. See, let's just unpack this a little bit. So, here's the first test: God promises restoration people love that and and when i do you know interviews on other radio shows and podcasts they want to talk about restoration they want to talk about my book all things new because i love the idea that god is making all things new but as soon as i talk about restoration as something located down the road how do you feel about that
1: disappointed uh, i want it now or i want at least the option of some of it now And to think, you know, when I hear what we don't get now, but we do get in the kingdom, it sounds good, but it doesn't sound relevant to today. And today seems to be all we can count on. I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, but if it doesn't help me through this week or through this month or through the year, it loses it just loses its relevancy to me and what I can count on. So I just set it aside on a shelf. Yes. I, I, I don't think I'm alone in that.
0: Well, you know, just test your heart, listener. You, God promises restoration. Ah, <gasps> that's so hopeful. That's so wonderful. What? I need restoration. And that restoration is coming to you down the road. Could be any moment, but it, it's in your future at some point. Right. And doesn't some part of you go, Oh, which is a kind of madness. It's like, what? Like, wow, are we trapped in the present or what? And there's some beautiful worship songs that have come out in the last decade that incorporate that phrase. He makes all things new, but they're talking about now. And actually, that phrase is from Revelation 21.5. The new heaven and the new earth, and he who is seated on the throne at the return of Christ says, behold, I am making all things new. Yes. The, the promise of restoration in the scripture is so breathtaking. It is so exquisitely beautiful that your life and your story has a beautiful restoration, that this earth that you love will be restored and not taken from you that everything that you have lost in this life is actually restored to you and then some. The descriptions of restoration, right? That, you know, the desert will blossom and the wilderness will rejoice and springs will flow in the barren lands. it, It is exquisitely beautiful. And most of those promises of restoration are at the return of Christ. And that's why this is a big deal. That's why this is so critical.
1: John, you said before that most people would choose the trip to Hawaii now over the future promise of relief or restoration one day.
0: Yeah. Oh, no question. Yeah.
1: And if if somebody gave me a plane ticket right now to Hawaii, my hope would probably momentarily at least be more in what that would bring than a promise
0: of the return of jesus yeah. exactly so okay so here's the second test you just ask people what are you hoping for what are you looking forward to what are you looking forward to these days alan
1: i'm looking forward to summer
0: Yep. vacation me
1: too. the weather uh the sun i'm looking forward to my oldest son graduates high school i'm looking forward to celebrating that milestone with him yeah looking forward to some things in the fall that we have with ministry here at Ransomed Heart with family, it doesn't get much further <laughs> than six months, right? Unfortunately,
0: right? I mean, friends, be honest. Just check your heart. What are you looking forward to these days? Is the return of Jesus even on the list? I mean, really? Now, quickly, you put it on the list because oh, well, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, absolutely, of course, I love God. I'm absolutely return of Jesus, but really, in the practical. Right. And this is Pascal's supernatural slumber, an incomprehensible enchantment. Stacey and I just returned from a family memorial service. If you read my March letter, you heard a little bit about that. And, and because that's a story precious to in-laws and other people in the family, it's really not my story to tell here, but, but the loss was tragic and heartbreaking, and sudden. And what was astounding to me was about half the people in the room have some genuine faith. They really do. And gratefully, I'm very, very grateful for that. And it was the opportunity to talk about our hope to the people in in the room, in the circle, in the relational context that don't have that hope. But what was amazing to me over those several days that we spent in the midst of grief and shock and heartbreak was the idea, but we will see them again, was actually seemed to offer very little comfort. You know, it does catch you. It's a bottom line rescue. It's kind of like the floor of the basement. The building doesn't just drop off into the abyss. There is this baseline. That's right. No, no, no. You know, we will see them again. But operationally, operationally, in the now, I was just amazed at how little that belief, even among sincere followers of Jesus, how little comfort that actually offers. Again, it feels just like saying, and Christ will return. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. You know, one day out there in the distance. And I find that heartbreaking because we're being deprived of a treasure in the field. We're being deprived of something that is so critical to the human heart, so critical to hope, so critical to the promises of restoration, so critical to how you actually do live your life right now. So unbelievably relevant that I, you know, I suggested to you, I want to do this podcast. I am a big fan of C.S. Lewis and have been for years. I would consider him one of the fathers in my faith. And Lewis wrote this beautiful little essay called The World's Last Night. And he's borrowing a line from a John Donne poem where John Donne Ask the question that we're kind of putting in front of you today, John then says, what if this present were the world's last night? And, and then just, what, is, what does that do? What does that do for your heart? What's that, what, what are the implications for how he lives? So, so Lewis riffing on that talks about the return of Jesus, and he says, there are many reasons why the modern Christian and even the modern theologian may hesitate to give to the doctrine of Christ's second coming that emphasis which was usually laid on it by our ancestors. And then Lewis goes on to say, Yet it seems to me impossible to retain in any recognizable form our belief in the divinity of Christ and in the truth of the Christian revelation while abandoning or even neglecting the promised and threatened return he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead says the apostles creed this same jesus said the angels in acts and that's uh, you know acts 1 to the group of followers watching the ascension of jesus this same jesus said the angels in acts shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven and then jesus himself said hereafter said our Lord himself, by those words inviting crucifixion, you shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And so Lewis concludes with this thought. He says, if this is not an integral part of the faith once given to the saints, I don't know what is. I think this is so critical. And I think it is so wonderful to the human heart. I think if we can just go there just put down the internal editor for a moment, folks. Just the objections, the concerns, the, the discomfort. Just set it aside for a few moments. And I, what I want to do is a quick survey of the Scripture on the return of Jesus. Let's go back and read it and hear it again for ourselves and just see what this does. Just let it open the windows Let some fresh air into the room Let the sun shine in So Matthew 25, the parable of the talents Jesus said again It will be like a man going on a journey Who called his servants And entrusted his wealth to them To one he gave five bags of gold To another two bags And to another one Each according to his ability And then he went on his journey The man who received five bags of gold Went at once and put his money to work And gained five bags more Also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So clearly, Jesus is telling a story about himself. He's the man going on a journey, right? And he's talking about entrusting to us the gifts and opportunities we've been given in this life. But the point. The climax, the focal moment of the parable of the talents is not the talents. The focal point is verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. Now, this is repeated in the parallel parable of the minas, which is told in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Let's just, just enjoy the scriptures. Just let them speak for a moment. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said to them, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his servants hated him, and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had done with it. So clearly, the ascension of Christ, he journeys to the Father, he's crowned king, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. But again, the focal point is he returned. Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking about the signs of the end of the age. And then he turns the conversation in this direction. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you don't expect him. He goes on to ask, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It would be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So again, Christ is driving, the focal point is his return. Then you have the parable of the 10 virgins. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And again, Jesus concludes a fairly sober, exciting, but sober parable to say, Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. I'm just letting the words of Jesus speak to us about. What was his perspective on his return? How critical, how central to the entire story and this constant urging to look for it, to have it in the center of your expectations. So back earlier in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been giving that beautiful passage about, look, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink. Don't worry about what you wear Look at the lilies of the field, look at the sparrows of the air, God cares for you. So this is right after that wonderful, comforting assurance about your life now. Jesus says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. And so you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. And so when you, friends, when you hear these scriptures, when you when you look at the flow of the old and, and then in climaxing into the New Testament, Jesus clearly wants us to interpret the story and interpret our personal story from the vantage point of his return. Philippians 3.20, we are eagerly waiting for him to return. 1 Corinthians 1, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is so central and so critical. Friends, the moment you're waiting for, the event you staked your life on is the return of Jesus. And with that, the renewal of everything. And so through the scriptures, we are urged to look for the return of Jesus, to watch for it, to wait for it eagerly. We're urged to watch and be ready. Okay, And there's even a warning at the end of the New Testament, at 2 Peter, he says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming, he promised ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. The, the, the temptation to be the ones who go, yeah, uh, it's, it's still a long ways off. Who knows? It could be another thousand years. It's been so long already. But, but we are urged to, chastened to, warned to, dare I say, even threatened, of being left out. I mean, really, it's that sober in those parables? Five of the ten are banging on the door? Jesus wanted this to be central to our hopes and our expectations. It is a lost, lost treasure. So coming back to Lewis, coming back to the essay, the doctrine of the second coming, then, is not to be rejected because it conflicts with our favorite modern mythologies. Actually, it is for that very reason to be more valued and made more frequently the subject of meditation. It is the medicine our condition especially needs, okay? So good. Because it saves your heart from pinning everything on this life and being utterly devastated or chronically disappointed when it doesn't come through. The enemy is so filled with hatred in these days, and one of the things he is trying to do is he's trying to sow a, a kind of poison into the hearts of the lovers of God through disappointment and through, yes. oh, wait, I thought it was restoration. I thought, I thought, I thought he makes all things new, and, and, and he gets into our hurts and heartaches and tragedies and losses, and he, he poisons our hope but he poisons our hearts towards God of, come on, God, where are you? Yes. When, when right out here, just in front of us, is all of that glistening promise of restoration. And it's centered in the return of Jesus. And I just want to point out one thing in closing. Over and over again, one of the characteristics of the return of Christ, one of the central characteristics, characteristics of the return of jesus is the element of surprise again and again and again six ways this way seven ways that way. he's trying everything he can to say you're going to be surprised by it Mm. it's going to happen at the moment no one is expecting which makes me really excited because that means right now because nobody's expecting it right no one's looking forward to it i'm like far out we must be really close (laughs) Everyone seems to have fallen asleep. Wow, that's right out of the parable, right? They're all drowsy. They're not looking for it. They're not listening for the trumpet. But, oh, friends, oh, friends, this lost treasure will will literally transform the life of your heart if you will let it in, if you will make this central to your hope and expectation. Return of Jesus dear friends, is actually really, really close. And then all of the goodness that comes with it.
1: Yeah, thank you, John. It, it, just those passages stir my heart. It takes me out of the now, the urgency, the holding tight to today into this mythic and epic vision of what is coming and it, that's what resets my heart to what really matters, where my hope really should be. And man, that makes all the difference in the world. So thank you for taking me there as well as everybody else.
0: All the difference in the world. Just let it be true for a few days. Just turn off the editor, turn off all the butts, turn off all that you know pushback and just let it be true for a few days and see what it does for your heart. You've been listening to the Ransom Tar Podcast, John Eldridge, Alan Arnold, on the return of Jesus. Not something to be embarrassed by, not something to kind of you know, cringe when, when somebody brings it up, but actually the very centerpiece of your faith.